I had this one memory of you that would come to mind any time I heard your name. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it's a good one, I hope. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good one. Mate, that is a great question. No one has ever asked me a question like that before because I think about that all the time. There's almost such a vision that you can see for yourself and then something outside of your control it takes that away from you. Do you feel like you were robbed if you look back on that moment? Mate, perspective is everything, hey? Like, and that's and that's probably the biggest learning that I've taken away from being medically retired from footy, right? Like, where it's like, I want to learn from the best athletes around Australia on how they deal with their mental health. And if they can be open to having the conversation about their own vulnerabilities, then it makes it okay for everyone else to talk about it. And that's the whole thing. We're encouraging boys and girls to talk about these struggles. I had a lot of mates um, making their debut for State of Origin one year. I think it was, might've been like last year. Um, Paddy Carrigan, Harry Grant, Caelan Ponga was playing. Like these are all Ruben Cotter. Like these are guys who I grew up playing representative footy with. Maybe I'll come back with a different mindset and, and be flying. G'day and welcome to the potty in which I connect with some of the most influential guests from across Australia and the globe to share their very inspirational stories. I was born with cystic fibrosis, a chronic illness in which I was told would most certainly ruin my life. But like many of the incredible humans that I have on this show, I'm on a mission to prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we choose to respond to them. I'm your host, the captain of the ship and the man in charge, Bradley J. Drybra, and this is a lot to talk about. Keegan Hipgrave, how are you, mate? I'm good, Bradley, mate. Thanks for having me, brother. Mate, it's a pleasure. I want to share a memory with you to start things off because really until the last like couple months, weeks of seeing you in this space, podcasting, you know, talking about mental health, being really immersed in a space that I love, I had this one memory of you that would come to mind any time I heard your name. <laughs> now, it's a good one, I hope. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good one. So I remember sitting down, I don't know how many years ago it would have been, maybe Friday night, Saturday night football, something of the like. And I remember you as this, really like sort of old school footy player, you know, the bloody luscious Mo, the guy that rips in, gives it 110%, like he's all effort. And I remember this one game, you're playing for the Titans, you're about 10 metres out from the line, and either the half or the 5'8 just slots this nice little grubber kick through the defensive line, and your body and that fucking beautiful moustache is just moving towards the footy at pace. <laughs> you throw yourself over the ball. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, the big fella's going to get some glory here. He's about to bag a meat pie. And like a thief in the night, someone comes out Dale of the coffee. blue. I remember yeah, it well. And puts the footy down and stole the moment from you. And I remember being gutted for you. And every time I saw your face for the next couple of years, I remember thinking, fuck, I wish he got that meat pie. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> that's, that's so funny you remember that, hey, because I had, I'd never scored a try previously before that. Yeah. So that would, that would have been my first, that would have been my first try. And like, it's special. It's special to score a try in the NRL, right? Like, and you always want to do it. And I went, I think the first three seasons without scoring and I was playing back edge. I was playing back row. Um, I think it was Ash Taylor was my halfback. I think he, either him or KNLG, I can't remember, but they put the little grabber through. Um, I had Dale Copley, who's a really good friend of mine sitting on my center and I saw the ball pop up and I'm like, this is it. I was like, this is where I'm going to get my first try. And then um, Dale snuck in underneath me. And I was like, oh, but that's all right, mate. That's footy. That's life. That's yeah. life. Brother, it's, it's so funny for me because I reminisced on that, you know, leading up to the pot, I was like thinking about that memory. And I thought I have to share that with you. And it's interesting, right? Because you look at perspective of anything. And, you know, for you in that moment, Maybe you feel a little bit robbed, but your mate scored a try. You know, you put four points on the board as a team. So the perspective is, well, we're moving in the right direction anyways. And it made me think about your perspective. And I wonder how it feels for you to be in your position now. And I'm sure we'll dive into the story in a little bit more depth. But for you, like medically retired from the NRL at such a young age, I'm sure that you looked down the line and seen years and I know I've heard you, you speak about it with Cooper Chapman that for you you envisioned a long career in the NRL maybe a couple of years over in the Super League in which you know you'd wind down and spend the, the last bit of your career over there and enjoy some travel amongst it there's almost such a vision that you can see for yourself and then something outside of your control 
it takes that away from you. Like, do you feel like you were robbed if you look back on that moment and went, man, like, I wish I could still be playing footy? Mate, perspective is everything, hey? Like, and that's, and that's probably the biggest learning that I've taken away from being medically retired from footy, right? Like, yeah, of course. I, I genuinely thought that I was going to play in the NRL until I was 30s mid thirties. Like I thought I was going to have a 10, 15 year plus career. Like, I, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, and that's, that's just where I was at. And I was competitive and I was ambitious and I wanted to play for Australia and I wanted to play for my state. Like I wanted to play state of origin. I had all these goals and ambitions and I was so, I guess a bit narrow focused in that, but I think you've got to be like, I think when you find something that you really love or something that you're good at, like footy was something that I was just, I guess I was good at from a young age. And so that was my whole life. Like I genuinely thought that that's what I was going to do until I was mid-30s. And don't get me wrong, I had a plan Bs and I was studying and I was curious about other things. But where I was devoting all my time, it was footy. Like, like it, was, it was always footy. And so, yeah, when I guess when I had – and we'll touch on the story I guess a little bit later. But when, when I was told by the neurologist that I, was, that I should medically retire from rugby league, it's a hard conversation, mate. Yeah, of course. Like, it's a really tough conversation to have, especially because that's what you think you're going to be doing forever. Um, but I guess it only took me a couple days, to be honest, to, to process and digest that conversation. Like, when you go through it, you got to go through and do a whole bunch of testing. Um, you get scanned, you do, like, numeracy testing, literacy, problem solving, cognitive function. You do the whole thing. And Chris Levi from Newcastle, he was the neuro neurologist who, who told me to medically retire. And I'd built a really good relationship with him over the last couple of years because I'd had concussions beforehand. And he's like, mate, you've got so much going on outside of footy. Like you've done a business degree, you're halfway through an MBA, like you love, you love other things outside of footy. Whereas a lot of people don't have these things outside of footy. So he's like, mate, I, I'd recommend that you should medically retire. You know, you, you've, you're at the point now where you've had so many concussions you're starting to get to the point where usually once you have more than 10 big ones, you just probably that's probably when you should start getting a little bit worried. And I'd know for a fact that I've had probably more than 10 big ones throughout my career from starting in juniors to, to going forward. And so I sort of had that thing was like, yeah, okay, I love football, I love this, um, but there's other things that I love outside of footy and, and I want to be cognitively right when I'm 40, 50, 60 so I guess I kind of just like flipped that mindset of saying, well, I can't kick stones. Like I can't kick stones and that's not going to help me. Like what am I going to do, get on the piss and do drugs for the next like three, five years? Like that's not going to help me at all. So what am I going to do? It's like, nah, well, let's, let's dial in. Let's find out what I really want to do and then go for it. And I guess after, like, don't get me wrong, the transition's always a little bit tough and, and you miss being around the boys and, and you miss that training competitive atmosphere. But, mate, I look at that as, like, probably one of the best things that has happened to me, right? Like, I, I've heard your story um, and, and, mate, likewise, like, you didn't let, you know, what happened to you dictate your life. You're fully on the front foot and finding, like, it's that glass half full stuff, which is so cool, mate, and super inspiring. A hundred percent. And, you know, I guess having heard my story, you'd know that maybe our brains have operated in similar ways in yeah. face of that adversity. And when I ask you that question, do you feel robbed? It's quite provocative, right? Because I had a yeah. very good feeling that your answer is going to be as positive and, you know, as driven by perspective as it was. And, and it's an interesting thought because I, it feels very relevant that we're having a conversation today because I went for a, a run with one of my best mates this morning, Joey Plum, who's yeah. a regular feature on the pod. And we're speaking about this idea of the contrast between having ambition, which is really important and a big part of my life, and it sounds like yours too, but also simple gratitude, like gratitude mm. for the simplest of things. And it's funny because those two can get a little bit tangled up and it can be hard to walk the line between them. Like on one hand, you want to be ambitious about what you're capable of, what's ahead of you, what you want to achieve, but you also don't want to be in a space in which you can't accept anything that isn't that. Mm. It's such a hard line because I think for us as human beings, what we don't have or what we can't have, we tend to sensationalize. Mm. You know, uh, like mate, you I think I think about this all the time because I look at people who I don't think there's anything wrong with ambition and drive and, and wanting and wanting to make money. I have I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And there's and I know there's two sides of the coin with that. But I think when you can have the ability to make genuine impact 
when you can make genuine impact and make a career and build a life around that. And when you have that together, like that's the sweet spot. Like I look at everything that you're doing in the keynote speaking world, in the podcast space, sharing your story and sharing the adversities you're going through. Like, mate, you're making genuine impact to changing people's lives and people can see and they can hear it. And it's so, it's so inspiring. It's so powerful. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having ambition. I think that's probably a great way to actually make genuine impact, which is kind of what I've found in the last maybe couple of years. Man, and I really appreciate that. They're kind words. And for me, it's, it's an idea that I've landed on lately is that, you know, because I think that there's a group of people who demonise ambition, who, you know, live in, in the life that they have right now that's very simple and they demonise the idea of ambition because I think there's maybe this fear inside of them that if they strive for something and fall short, that they won't be able to handle that feeling. But on the other hand, there's the people who demonise simplicity, who will never be happy with the wife and kids and the little home and the simple life because they've been told that that's not good enough and they've told themselves that that's not good enough. And so for me, I landed on this and I actually posted about it the other day because, you know, lately it's, it's been quite a funny period. I went from spending literally the first nine months of my relationship with my partner, Soph, where we were pretty much together 24-7, like really mm. flexible schedules. And we were, you know, I was pursuing this dream and she was supporting me alongside of it. And now we've both gone into a phase where we're knuckling down, working a little bit harder to get some financial literacy back in our life. And it's been quite an interesting period because our work schedules like highly clash yeah. where we rarely get a day together. And so on Tuesday, we both had the day off. And we were like, we're going to make the most of this and it's going to be a day for us. Yeah. And so we woke up that morning and I was like, I want to get a, a longer run in because I haven't had a, a lot of long runs recently. So I ran 15K. She joined me for the first 10. Man, I found myself just smiling the whole run. Yeah. Like the simple fact that like I was out on a longer run with a person I love, you know, it was a nice morning. We were running a slightly different track to what we usually do and like seeing some some fresh spaces and places again. And I got home and I was on such a high. And I think for me, the conclusion was that if you can learn to appreciate the ordinary, then when you achieve the extraordinary, you'll appreciate it, but you don't need it. It doesn't need to be the everyday. Mate, that's so beautifully said. And you're probably at a point now where, <clears throat> yeah, you're busy, your partner's busy, but you'll cherish those moments so much more because you've prioritized them, right? Like you've, like you've, booked, you've booked it in the calendar. You're like... And you're, and you're willing to work hard and that's great, but then you've got, okay, well, I'm going to prioritize this chunk of time because you don't like, you don't want to be working all the time. Like I think me and you are very similar in the fact that well, we're happy to work hard, but when you've got a morning and you can spend time with someone you love and you've prioritized that time, you've gone for a little run, you might've had a swim at the beach, a little coffee, like you've got the endorphins from the physical exercise, you're with someone you love, like you'll cherish those moments so much more because you've done all the work leading up to that. I think that's a beautiful thing, mate. And I think social media has probably glamorized the fact of that hustle life. And it's actually both. Like it depends probably what algorithm you're sitting in, right? You've got some people who you got some people who are like, you need work-life balance, you know, I don't want to be doing this. But then you've got the other side of the coin where people are like, it's hustle and bustle. You've got to be going 24 hours a day. You can't sleep where I think... And everyone's different, mate. I'm fully conscious of that. But for me personally, yeah, I, I want to work hard. Like I want to go for it. But if I've got a morning where I can go down to the beach and have a little swim, hang out with my mates, like have a little surf, like I feel so pumped and same as you, get so much energy from that because you've prioritised it and you've, you've locked it in. You might have put it in the Google calendar. You know what I mean? <laughs> 100%. And, you know, I love to hear it because it sounds as though, and you alluded to this but we're wired very similarly. I wonder though that for you, like if you look back at the start of your career, had Chris Levi come to you at the start of your career and said, Keegan, I've just travelled back in a time machine to let you know that in a couple of years' time, this will be the, the reality that you have to face and this will be the decision you make. Do you think you would have felt okay with it then or did you need the few years of experiencing the NRL going through the process, having the personal growth, developing yourself and your mindset to then be able to handle it the way that you have? Mate, that is a great question. No one has ever asked me a question like that before because I think about that all the time. And I think when I was a, 
17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, right? Like start of my career, you could have told me anything and I would have, I would have been like, nah, I'm dialed into rugby league. Like 100%. I was so, I guess, probably a little bit arrogant, a little bit determined, um, so focused on wanting to be the best player I could be that you could have told me anything and, and I would have gone for it, you know. Like I, and you go through the whole thing with injuries and I think a lot of players are like that. I think a lot of players will, will go through injuries and they'll fight through anything just to just to be where you want to be and where you want to end up. So if Chris Levi was to come to me, he's like, Keys, you know, you're going to go through a lot of concussions. You're going to be going through that. I would have been like, yeah, fine. Like, I'm, I'm, this is what I want to do. Like, and I guess a part of that is because like my identity was so wrapped up in being a rugby league player. Like I was so dialed into being a rugby league player. And to be honest, mate, before I was medically retired in 2019, so two years prior, I had six to 12 months off with concussion. So how it works in the NRL, if you've got three or more like big concussions where you have to sit out for a number of weeks, then you have to go off into an independent doctor to get assessed. And Chris Levi was the medical, the um, independent doctor. So in 2019, I had a whole bunch of concussions. Um, I had three big ones that set me out, but a whole lot of little micro concussions that sort of fly under the radar, like just normal head knocks that you just get through in a game. and so I went and saw him because that was part of the protocol. Um, and he, we did the whole like neurological like assessment, had brain scans, did the whole like um, problem solving test. It's a big day of testing. It's like problem solving, literacy, numeracy, um, reaction time. There's, it's, you're cooked by the end of the day. And then afterwards he said, mate, this is what you're good at. This is what you're bad at or this is what you need to improve. He's like, I recommend you have six months off to let your brain heal and recover mm-hmm. because, you know, you've had some significant head injuries, head, um, head knocks. Um, so I did. I had six months off, which turned to 12 months with COVID. So our whole, um, I guess our whole season got pushed back. So that was probably a blessing, mate, to be honest. Um, but even then, like even after having those six months off, I was so determined to come back and play footy. Hey, like I was in my last year of my contract, so I really wanted to do well, Um just was fit like because I wasn't doing any contact and usually when you're doing contact um, you can't do as much gym and you can't do as much running because you're physically sore you're battered and bruised but for me I wasn't doing any contact so I was the fittest I'd ever been I was the strongest I'd ever been I'd come back like hungry and determined like that break probably refreshing me a lot I'll never forget Mm. it first day of pre-season um, we do a two kilometer time trial uh, and it's pretty much just like running around the field for I don't know how many times it's like five or six times and um, there was a guy, there was two guys, a guy called Jai Whitbread, um, who's over in England playing at the moment. He was the fittest forward um, in, the, in the forwards, like the forwards go and then the backs go afterwards. And there was another guy called Nathan Peets, who is a, um, he was a state of origin player for New South Wales, um, incredible player, like one of the hard, most hardworking, competitive guys I'd met. And he had the record. Um, so... He sat in another group. Me and Jai took off and, and I just sat on Jai's tail the whole way and we just travelled around and I was just like, wow, I'm actually keeping up with him. And then in the last lap there was like this little just little thing in my head saying, let's go, like let's put the foot down, like you're like this is where you want to be. And so I ended up just taking off and then ended up beating him by half a lap and everyone's just like, geez, Keys, like, come, like you've come back strong. And I just remember this feeling of just being like, this is me coming back and wanting to do it. And then coming back to Nathan Peets, I beat Nathan Peets' record. But Peetsy is so competitive and he's just like, he's like, well, I'm not going to let like bloody Keegs like beat me. So he ended up beating it again, like <laughs> by another couple of seconds. Um, but it just showed like where my head was at. Like it doesn't matter where I was going um, or what had happened in the last six months. I was like, I'm ready to come back. So anyway, mate, that was a long, long answer for your for your question. Um, but to answer your question, nah, mate, if 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 Chris Levi was to come back and say, would you do it? Like, this is what's going to happen. I'd be like, no, nah, I'm I'm fully in. And you know what? And there's so much of that that I love because conversation I had with a guest yesterday was around, you know, he was speaking about how important naivety was for him in the yep. early years of his career, and how being naive allows you to step into a space that is uncommon like you're about to go on a journey of trying to achieve something that's you know less ordinary it's extraordinary by nature and very few people do it Mm. and man i just spoke about it before that naivety i think it was off you know off record where i was saying that when i started the pod i thought i was going to be like rogan in a year yeah that naivety gets you going 
But then at some point you have this transition that I can recognize in myself and I, I wonder where you recognize it in your story where that naivety doesn't allow you to survive the challenges ahead. It has to turn into self-awareness. Like if you want to evolve and become the person that you are, that naivety evolves and it becomes self-awareness where you can recognize, okay, I've walked the path until here and now I need to make some really smart decisions, some de decisions that will dictate likely the result of the next chapter of my life. And this mm. is really important. And so for you, when you make that decision, was there ultimately peace with it initially or did it take time to, to find that peace? Yeah, once, once I had those conversations with the neurologist, once he told me that, mate, I recommend that you should medically retire from football, it was one of those weird feelings that it's a shock and it's hard to process. But for me, I kind of agreed with him. Like, like I said before, like I, I agreed to the fact that I want to be good when I'm 40, 50, 60 years old. You know, I want to have a family one day. I want to, I want to be good for them. Um, mm. So I, mean, I agreed with him. And I guess I kind of did come to peace with that. And so initially, you know, conversations, everyone's asking, do you miss it? Like, it's not fair. You're 24 years old and you've been told to medically retire. You've been forced out of the game. And everyone's sort of like making me out like I'm a victim. Like, poor you where I'm like, yeah, well, it's a hard thing, but I can't do anything about it, you know? Like, and I, and I kind of agree with him. Like, mate, to be honest, I kind of want my head and brain to be good when I'm older and, and I have other goals and other ambitions that I want to do. So to be honest, to answer your question, mate, like, nah, I didn't really struggle with it that much at the start. Like the boys, I had, you know, we had a big season. Um, we played semifinals that season um, with the Parramatta Eels. We got knocked out. Uh, I think it was against Penrith. Or I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm not too sure. I didn't play the semi-final because I had the, all the concussions. Um, but yeah, I remember people like, "Do you miss it?" And I was just like, "Yeah, like I kind of miss. I miss being around the boys. Like, don't get me wrong. I miss that competitive atmosphere. But there's other things that I want to do. Um, there was one time where I genuinely thought that I was going to come back. So when you're medically retired, you get medically retired in that moment in time. So there's no reason to say that in two, three, four, five year times that you can't recover and come back. And that's happened before. Um, who was it? Sione Matayutai, he was at the Knights um, and then he's playing over in St. Helens at the moment. A guy called Tamari Martin, who was medically retired with concussion, um, he had it really bad. Like he was, he couldn't leave his room because he was so sensitive to light for I think like six months or something like that. He had a bleed, I think he had a might have, and correct me if I'm wrong or whatever. He, he had a, like a bleed on his brain, I'm pretty sure. And he came back. Um, and there was one time I remember I had a lot of mates um, making their debut for State of Origin one year. I think it was, might have been like last year. Um, Pat, oh, Paddy Carrigan, Harry Grant, Caelan Ponga was playing. Like these are all Ruben Cotter. Like these are guys who I grew up playing representative footy with. And to be honest, a lot of the guys that I was captaining in those teams. And so I look at these guys making their Origin debut and I was like, oh, you know what? Like that would have been really cool. Like that would have been something that – Obviously, I would love to do, and it's and it's an honor to play for your state and even your country. And so there was this one, there was this like maybe a month period where I was just like, maybe I'll come back. Like uh, I've been doing jujitsu for the last you know year and a half. Um, I've been running ultra marathons. Like I, I love running, I love swimming, I love being fit. I was like, maybe I'll come back with a different mindset and and be flying. And then um, I'm not sure if you saw it, but there was a guy by the name of Paul Green who was the Cowboys coach. Um, he, um, he, was, he was actually a Maroons coach as well, um, played rugby league for many, many years, very successful player, beautiful family, young kids, um, beautiful wife. Mate, he ended up committing suicide last year. I think it was last year. Um, and, and when you do the autopsy, that's when you can find out if you've got signs of CTE, um, which is a disease um, which they think at the moment is contributed to competitive, like consistent brain injuries, um, TBIs. And they found that when they did the autopsy, he had one of the worst cases of CTE that they, they'd ever seen. And I remember reading that article and watching all the news come out about it. And I remember thinking like, the whole reason you wanted to finish footy or the whole reason you got told to finish footy 
was so that you could be sweet later on. So as soon as I saw all that, I was like, that's, that was the thing that just pulled me back in. It's like, nah, you're on the right path. You don't need to go back to footy. Like, don't put that back in your head. Like, that's not a priority. Your priority is to, I guess, go on the path of understanding the brain, going on the path of understanding mental health so you can help your friends and family. And then also other players who are in the game. Like, mate, I've got so many friends who are in the professional rugby league system and in professional sporting system where, to be honest, mate, I'm worried about them. You know, I want to be able to have the tools to be able to help them when they come out of footy. So that's why I'm going on this whole path of of learning about mental health, learning about suicide prevention. Like, I'm going back to uni to do my postgrad in psychology so I can have these tools to help them when they come out because it, there's such a huge opportunity to, to help and I don't think we're doing enough in, in professional sport, not just in NRL, but AFL. Like there are certain programs that are, that are popping here and there. But I look at the fact that I don't see anyone who has played professional sport, who understands it, who is relatable, but then also has the, I guess, foundational knowledge of psychology to help them. So that's the that's where I'm going. Um, but yeah, mate, it's, um, I, I don't, yeah, no, I don't regret it at all there was one time where I thought maybe I'll go back but nah mate I'm, I'm more than happy where I'm at at the moment I love to hear that and you know it's interesting you alluded to there the fact of asking yourself the question like why did I leave footy in the first place and there's a there's a lot of power in that question there's a lot of power in that concept for everyone like I think often that we get ourselves attached to the vehicle as opposed to what the vehicle gives us and what it's doing for us in our life like I, I've thought about this in my own life. You know, if there was an opportunity to do what I want to do, which I define as uplift and inspire hope in others through story, mm. the podcast is just one vehicle for that. There's so many other vehicles to telling powerful and meaningful stories and having meaningful, powerful conversation that you should never be so attached to one thing that you can't see the possibilities in another area mm. or on another path. And so I think that when we approach life, a lot of people have this, almost this grief that comes from, you know, a necessary change. You know, there's almost this inability to see beyond it because the loss of thinking that that thing and that feeling it gives you has just been immediately taken away from you and you'll never have that again. And so I love that I can hear you speak about, you know, what you're doing now, what you're planning to do, what you're working towards with, with the joy and the excitement that you have because it's I'd, such an important lesson for us all. I'd love to, and I love, I really want to do a little bit deeper dive into that because I look at you as someone who's super consistent. Like you've been doing your podcast for what, three and a half years and you're really invested in the story aspect of it all, but you're willing to jump into another vehicle and you're open to other ideas. Do you ever have like that, I guess, um, and obviously like consistency will lead to success. Like look at, look at how well your podcast is going now and imagine when you do this for 10 years. Like imagine consistency is at a forefront for you. How do you go, mate, because I'm curious, how do you go with the fact of like I need to do this but there's actually I need to put my time into something else. Like do you have a challenge or like have like any like, I don't know, is that hard to think about sometimes and jumping into another vehicles? This is very topical right now. So yeah. <laughs> it's so funny you ask me this. I've spent probably the last two weeks in a heavy brainstorm, in a heavy like stepping back, writing, thinking, asking myself questions, a lot of introspection because I love the podcast so much. Like yeah. this gives me so much joy. But I've gotten to a point where the last three and a half years I've been doing things in a very similar way. Yeah, And that for me has looked like, I don't think, I'm going to say, pretty safely say, maybe some of the listeners more tuned in than me yeah. um, could correct me on this. But for the last 18 months to two years, I've not missed a single weekly release. Yeah, like Over Christmas, New Year's, like all of the craziness of life, I've not missed dropping one pot a week. And with that consistency it's gotten me to this point that I'm at now, which I'm really grateful and really excited about. However, I want to change things up a little bit. Yeah. Like I want to try to reach a new level. I want to evolve. I want to do something that's maybe a little bit different and hits people in a different way. I look at this space and a lot of people operate in similar ways. And I thought, mm. and I really want to test myself and see if I can change things up. If I can like flip the script and do this a little bit differently. But mm. with that comes this fear that if I don't release next week, 
will I lose everything I've worked towards? Yes. Like everything I've worked to build, will that just fall away? The answer is no. And obviously, if you just don't release for the next year, you know, maybe that some things will drop off. But for me, there's this challenge of, well, I think to know you have to be able to step back. Like I always say that like the answer to your question is often in the wider perspective. Mm. And I think that so often we're so close to something, we're so in it that like you can't see what's happening, you know, 360 degrees around you. But if you just take a couple of steps back, then all of a sudden like the picture is wider and clearer. Yeah. And you can scan the horizon and go, okay, well, there's actually that thing over there that I haven't been able to see for the last two years. And maybe I'll head in that direction for a bit and see if it's mm. fruitful. And so for me, I think all of the things I've been doing have felt like natural steps and natural progressions. Like the keynote speaking works really well alongside a podcast. Yes. But the biggest challenge for me, Keegs, in the last year was I went from doing full-time real estate in a career that looked... Um, it's not always linear, but it felt very linear. Like for me, mm. I had to just do what I'd done the year before as a 20, I think I was 24 at the time, 23. Like if I just repeated what I did the next year, I would have made six figures for the year. And like, that's a great wage for a 23 year old guy with very little expenses. And so like that path felt linear. There was financial reward there. There was, you know, something that I was quite good at and quite passionate about at the time, but I lost my passion in it. I lost my desire to do it. And so to step outside of that into this world, which has been not very financially fruitful, and it, it never is in the early years for people in the podcast and keynote speaking space. It takes yeah. time. I really struggled to find, I had a couple of different like part-time jobs that have kept me afloat, but I found it really hard to find something that allowed me the freedom and the flexibility to go, man, there's a keynote in two weeks that I've been booked for. I need to go and do it. Mm. It's like workplaces are like, no, hold on. Hold on, mate. You've got to be here at work on Thursday. Yeah. But I finally found this job that allowed me some flexibility. It's one of those jobs where I clock in and clock out. I work with a great crew of guys and we have a good time and it's quite physical. And in all honesty, it's it's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm. But for this period, it serves me so well. And I get to go and, you know, be a, a really good contributor for these guys and help their business and rock up and give my 100%. But there was fear in that step because the fear is, is this going to take me away from what I've been trying to do for the last three and a half years? Well, the answer is no. The answer is also that, man, there needs to be like a foundation to work off. Like you can't not eat and be a great Mm. podcast host. Yeah. You know, you need a roof over your head. Do you ever, um, do you ever think that you could fall out of love with what you're doing now because you do it for so long? Is that ever a thought that comes into your brain? Because you do it for so long. Like imagine doing something for 10, 15 years. Like do you ever think like, oh, you know, maybe one day I'm going to want to do something totally left field? It's, it's such a good question, man, because I, I really love it and like I've done it so consistently for the last couple of years and I'd argue that I love it more than ever. Yeah. But I think I've, I've come to terms with the fact that there's parts of it I don't love. Like in yep. all honesty, Keegs, I hate the edit. Yes. Like for me, I do not enjoy editing at all. Yeah. And I think what I've learned is that, you know, I recently listened to Stephen Bartlett's book, um, The Diary of a CEO. Oh, was it good? Bro. I'm one, I struggle with business list. books. It, it's yep. great. And like one of the things he spoke about is like tripling down on your strengths and like bringing other people into the team to like do the things that you're not good at, but it's their specialty. Mm. And so I often think that I just think naturally as this evolves, I want to create a team of people who, you know, there's a producer, there's someone who does, you know, the the snazzy edits and makes this look amazing, you know, as the finished sort of polished product, which means that then I can take the one thing that I really love and in all honesty have loved for my whole life, which is storytelling and conversation and just do that in its many forms. Mm. But I also, there's a concept that was shared with me on the podcast um, about two or three weeks ago, a guy named Tom Nash, mm. incredible human being, wild story. In fact, you'd get on really good with Tom and he'd be a great guest for your show. Tom developed manager cockle at the age of 19. It went septicemic in his body and he had his, all of his limbs amputated. His arms from the elbows down, his legs from the knees down. And so he has like pirate hooks for hands and they call him DJ Hooky. He's also a DJ. He's done some incredible stuff and he's now 41, if I remember correctly. And 
<coughs> excuse me, he's um, done a keynote at TEDx in Sydney and he keynote speaks around the world and really fascinating guy. And Tom spoke to me about this concept that he calls the author. And the idea behind the author is I think about, I, like, I want a life that is literature worthy. He's like, so I cast my mind forward and I go, what do I need to do to be at a point where I sit down at 80 and write the book about my life? And he's just released a book at his age now. But like if I'm 80 and I look at, you know, what do I want to write about? What do I want that life to have looked like? I can reverse engineer to live a life like that. Yeah. And if I ask myself like at 80, what do I want? And I've done this exercise at the start of the year. It was really handy for me. I, I asked myself a slightly different question, but I encouraged myself to write my own eulogy as if it was my last day on earth. Mm. And it was a very emotional exercise, but what came to the surface for me was I wanted to be a loving dad, husband, brother, family member, son, mate, and I wanted people that I really care about in my life that were really important to me. And I also want to be able to share some really uplifting and inspiring stories. So mm. whatever that looks like, man, it might be different in 20 years. Like this didn't exist 15 years ago. Yeah. Like what we're doing now is like it's, it's so early in the space of podcasts. Like this wasn't a thing. And so I honestly believe that there could be something in five, ten years that comes into our worlds that we go, man, that's me. Like that's the next thing. Mm. So I think I've gotten comfortable with the fact that we changed. Because, man, I was a 20-year-old real estate walking into the office for my first day and I was like, here's my life. Yep. I'm going to make some great money selling some beautiful houses and like chatting to people every day and – you know, that's going to be fascinating and I'm going to love it. After like four years, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And the ability for you to like learn and grow and evolve, like you look, you'll look back, like you look back in your 20 year old self at where your mind was at to where you're at now. Like how old are you now? Like 26, 27, 27. 27. So you got seven years of learning. Imagine what you're going to be like at 35 or 45 or 50, like you'll know so much more, not only about yourself, but about life, about partners, about relationships, how you've worked. And you'll be so much more comfortable with that. Like I talk to a lot of people in their twenties and they're like, especially, especially girls, especially guys, like anyone. And they're like, I'm so nervous for 30. Like, I don't want to be like, like 30, 30, like I don't want to be 30. And I was just like in the footy space and, and guys who I look up to and guys who are a little bit older who've been through their 30s and their 40s, they're like 30s are the best years because you know yourself a little bit more. You know, you've got a little bit more money to spend. You know, you've got your family. You've got people around. You understand yourself. Like that's so cool. And then even talking to guys who I really look up to, like I really lean on guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s who are where I want to be. Like I talk to them and I soundboard things off from them and they said, and a lot of these guys are really successful. And I remember I was talking to this one guy, he's in his fifties, he's a multi-million dollar company. And he said, I'm just getting started. He's like, mate, I've got like another decade, two decades, three decades of like learning and of grinding and, and, and he's a beautiful family man as well. He's, he's got that balance really well, which is something I aspire to. He's like, mate, there's the learning's so great. And I think Gary V, like Gary V says it really, like he says it really good. He talks about, yeah, like I'm 60 years old or 50, however, however old he is. Like I've got another decade. Imagine what you mm. could achieve in another decade. And like, it's like, look what you've, look what you've learned in the last seven, seven years from you being a real estate for your first job, like this is all I'm going to be to what you're doing now. Look what you're going to do in the next 10 years. It's so cool. Well, what I love about that right there, because I agree with you so much, is that you have to be in the mindset of I am continually learning mm. and I'm continually growing and, it's, and I'm adding 1% to myself. I'm adding those little bits to myself that allow me to understand life a little better, allow me to understand myself. But I'm also aware of the fact that I'll likely get to 50, be much wiser, but still figuring things out. Like I'm never mm. going to know it all. And I've found for me personally, the podcast has been amazing for that yes. because three and a half years of chatting to new people who have had different experiences. I often say that this has made a real man out of me. Mm. It's given me a new level of empathy I never had. And I think an understanding that we all experience life differently. We're all wired differently. There are seasons and evolutions of life. And I wonder for you, Keegs, like, this podcast for you, it's, to be honest, mate, I've, I've sat back and watched, you know, a bunch of the stuff you're producing on social through the pods. I've caught one of the full episodes with um, KP. Mm. Mate, you're brilliant at it. Like, <laughs> I think to be this early in the piece, 
you are so good at it and you've got such a natural ability to rock up and have authentic, real conversation. It's very easy to listen to and watch. So I've got to commend you on that. But this process of starting the podcast, like what was the initial motivation and what have you learned along the way? Thank you, mate. That's, that's very kind. Um, that's very kind. I'm, I'm very lucky and very fortunate to have really great friends. Like I think anyone who's come on my podcast have been really, have been really good friends to begin with. So I guess that makes those conversations a lot easier. And I guess they're probably more likely to be open and vulnerable with someone they know versus someone they don't know. Um, but how I started, mate, I didn't really, for me, I battled with it for a little while. Like I didn't want to be a guy who would just add to the amount of shit content out there on social media because there is so much. And to be honest, I didn't think I had anything to say. Like I, I honestly didn't. I think I don't want to be just another guy who starts a podcast. Like that's not something that I want to do. But I am really interested in the mental health space. Like the mental health space is something that I I love and I think needs to be talked about. You know, I, I lost one of my best mates to suicide when we were 17 years old, um, a guy by the name of Regan Grieve who – we were both captains of the Queensland schoolboys team under 18s. Um, we roomed together in that in that carnival. He was our captain. We we're both captains, and he was he's that guy who was like loved by everyone, respected, like was funny, outgoing. Like from the outside looking in, he had everything going for him. Girls loved him. You know, the boys got around him. Um, we both got picked in the Australian schoolboys side um, at the end of that carnival. That's guys with like Latrell Mitchell um, played in that played in that side. Nat Butcher. Um, just an incredible, I think 20 out of the 24 guys who actually, that's the schoolboy jersey behind me, um, the Australian schoolboy jersey, um, something I'm really proud of, but we both got picked in the Australian schoolboy team. He actually broke his ankle in that competition and we had a six weeks tour of France and England as 18 year olds, 17, 18 year olds, which is a, a thing everyone wants to do. You get to play England, you get to play France. It's a huge, huge competition. Um, but he couldn't go overseas, um, cause he broke his ankle. Anyway, we come back from overseas and what I later found out was that he was struggling with bipolar and he ended up committing suicide the Australia Day that following year. And for me, mate, hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I looked at someone who was loved and respected by everyone, but I didn't even know what was going on with him. I didn't ask him what was going on with him. He was someone who I looked up to. He was someone who I lent on and I roomed with him. I had no idea. I didn't even know. He was our captain. Um... So ever since finding that out, I've wanted to do a deep dive into mental health. That's why I wanted. That's why I want to do mental health, and so um, that's why I've been with Movember for the last eight years. I wanted to be a guy in my community, and especially in the rugby league footy community, where mates can talk to. So ever since Lugan, ever since losing Regan, I want to be the guy that the boys can talk to. So I, I, that's what I did. We did Movember. We did all these conversations, and then ever since um, medically retiring from football, I was like, well, what? what can I do? What do I, what do I love? And mental health is one of them. And that's a conversation that I want to have. So I flipped the narrative and I flipped it from, instead of me wanting to preach about certain things, like I, I'm not going to do that because I don't know. Instead, I flipped it to let me learn exactly the same to you as you and your learning over the last three, three and a half years, where it's like, I want to learn from the best athletes around Australia on how they deal with their mental health. And if they can be open to having the conversation about their own vulnerabilities, then it makes it okay for everyone else to talk about it. And that's the whole thing. We're encouraging boys and girls to talk about these struggles. Um, so I guess that was the sort of kicker to be like, actually, yeah, let's, let's start this podcast and let's just start it. Let's just see where we go. And so um, I flirted with the idea. We did a couple mock episodes. I did one with Mac Horton, Olympic gold medal swimmer, um, Jamie Chapman, um, who's, she was an Australian rugby league player, uh, Ali Day, who's one of the best um, Ironmen in Australia, probably if not the world. And I just enjoyed it, mate. Same as you, like got so much energy. I would, I would leave these conversations with so much energy and, and people feeling vulnerable. And then um, I committed to it. I said, I'm going to do it. Um, leaning on mate studios and we're putting out and then we put some episodes out and I imagine you would get very similar feedback when you have, when you go on other people's podcasts where they're like, this is like, this has changed my life. This has forced me to reach out to a mate. This has allowed me to go see a psychologist. This has allowed me to reach out to friends and family or be vulnerable. And when I got all those messages, I was like, this is the path that's, that's right. And this is the path that I'm on. Um, so I'm very settled into the fact that I want to be doing this for a uh, quite a while. 
Mate, that's beautiful to hear. And I think that the podcasts that do really well are the ones that have genuine purpose behind them. Mm. And like you said, there is so much noise. Yeah. But there's, you know, in the space it's populated. But there's something really special about a show that's on a mission to help people mm. and, and why we tune into that. And you create this little community, and I'm sure that the community of people who listen to your podcast, me now being one of them, are <laughs> these people who, who want to be there. They need that. It's a part of what they're searching for. They're searching for the, it's almost the permission to be vulnerable, to yes. be honest, to open that conversation. And I very, I very well think that there'll be plenty of guys and girls out there who sit down at coffee next week with their mates and have been struggling to have the conversation, to be honest about how they're feeling or what they're being challenged by, who will sit down and open the conversation with, did anyone hear Keegs talking to KP, Ali, you know, whoever the guest may be and the conversation they had. And that's just the thing that opens the door to the more vulnerable conversation at coffee. And that's a really powerful thing. Nail on the head. Like, all, all the people that I looked up to growing up were athletes. Like, that, like they were my role models. So what they wanted to be doing, that's what I wanted to be doing. So if you've got little guys and girls and people who are seeing guys like Kalen Ponga, guys like Paddy Carrigan, guys like Ali Day, Matt Horton, Ariane Titmus, you know, the best athletes in Australia, the world for their sport, if they can be seen opening up about their own vulnerabilities – and it's exactly what you said. They'll be at the coffee shop being like, oh, I heard, heard this podcast, like Ariane was talking about this or Kaylin was talking about this. And actually, what do you guys think? What are you guys struggling with? And it makes it, 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 it normalizes it and it takes the stigma out of that conversation. And I'm very conscious of the fact that I want to make mental health cool. You know, like we're not, don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm very conscious of the fact that I don't want to sit and have a, a deep, dark conversation with someone for a whole a whole hour segment because I imagine that's when because I want people to be feeling energized and I want people to be feeling happy after they leave a podcast I don't want them feeling upset don't get me wrong we touch on mental health themes and some of it is really heavy like Brayton Asta look like he he was so open talking about losing his father to suicide when he was 14 years old but that, that's a segment in the in the podcast and we touch it and it allows it to be okay but beforehand, we're, we're laughing about the fact that, you know, he's whatever's going on and we're, and we're joking around and there's, and there's that humanised aspect where we're actually humanising the athlete and we actually get to know a little bit more about their personality and what they like and what they dislike. And it's easy because we're mates and a lot of the people that come on are friends. Like I, I don't really – and I'm sure the fact that I'll get to the point where we'll have people that I don't know. I'm sure that's going to happen. But in the meantime – they're just friends and it's pretty like a lot of the, a lot of the feedback that I get is just like, it's like we're just sitting having a coffee and I'm just listening to people having, having a conversation and a chat. And that's what I want. Like I want it to be fun and I want people to be leaving feeling energized and leaving feeling like, Oh, that was, I, I know a little bit more about this athlete and you know what? They spoken about this. This has allowed me or this has validated me or given me permission to go out and talk about how I'm feeling. It's very disarming. Mm. You know, that, that's for me how it feels. And there's a guy who does that brilliantly. I had him on the pod, Sir John Kerwin, or Black okay. Legend. And he has a, a hectic mental health story. Like it's, it's very full on when you mm. hear him speak about, you know, being on tour in Argentina, you know, thinking about jumping out of the window of his hotel. Wow. And um, his, his teammate who he was rooming with at the time, just out of the blue, without knowing what JK is going through, says, hey, JK, you've got a good heart. And he just Response. instantly feels this, oh, I can't do this. And then he, he goes and gets the help and he changes his life. And he's now on a mission with a mental health organisation to change the way that, that players feel about their mental health and then in turn you know, have an impact on society but he speaks about just at the time that conversation was so not normal in the eighties. Yes. You know, it's only just started to become something we can talk about, but I'm, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts here, Keegs, because I would say that I've had a, a fair chunk of conversations that have, you know, lent in that mental health direction on the podcast, you know, mm. with, with a purpose behind it to try and help people. You're going to share some of those stories, right? And the one thing that I often question is I think 
man, in 2023, we talk about mental health more than ever. And I'd say mm. that, you know, we've still got a way to go. However, right now is probably the most open we've ever been in society about mental health struggle and the challenge and some of the things that we can be doing to improve it. But I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's because I'm more aware of the conversation now, but I just feel like more people are struggling than ever. Mm. You know, and I'm trying to put my finger on that. Like, why, why are we in a place where it's more open than ever, but we also have peop more people struggling than ever? And I seem to think it has a lot to do with social media and comparison. Mm. I think that, you know, we spoke about it before, these ideas of the life that you don't have is something you sensationalize. Mm. And, and so does that make people feel as though they're, they're where they shouldn't be or there's something that they don't have? I'm not sure. But I'll be one, you know, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it as someone who's experienced it as a mate who's lost a best friend and, you know, who's someone who's in this space. Mate, that's, um, that's a conversation, hey. Like mm. that, that is the conversation, the conversation that, yeah, we, and it might be the circles that we just knock around with, mate. Like that, that, that could be a contributor to it. But yeah, the idea of that we are in 2023 having these conversations, like we're in November at the moment, at the, at the moment, November is such an amazing organization. They're touching on it. We do some amazing events with them. It's, it's topical. It's a very topical thing at the moment. Like mental health is a very topical thing. Yet we are all struggling so much. I 100% think social media plays uh, plays a part in that. Um, but, to, mate, to be answer your question, I don't have the answers. I don't know. Like I guess this is why I want to do the podcast and, and go on a journey to, to figure it out. Like I'm not like I'm not a clinical psychologist. I don't. I don't feel like I have the uh, foundation to give professional advice. Like I don't want to do that. And I look at a lot of people on social media doing that. I don't want to be doing that. I want to highlight stories similar to you that are storytelling and, and, and validating people's opinion. And mate, I'll recommend people to go see psychologists. Like if it's not something that I'm versed in or if it's something that I haven't had lived experience in, I'm 100% pushing them towards a psychologist. But yeah, I don't, I don't know where it's, I think it's changing. Like I think it's changing. I look at, I always go back to that thought of um, professional sport, like the conversation around professional sport and you touched it on with the, with the All Blacks, um, with that guy from the All Blacks. And it, that's changing. Like we, we look at NRL players, like you think that they're going to be talking about their feelings 10 years ago, 20 years ago, like, like not, not a chance. And you've got guys like Nico Hines, who was the Dally M last year, arguably one of the best players in the game. And he comes out and talks about his story, about his mum and about his own mental health issues and, and, and talking about how rugby league teams are having these conversations. The Parramatta Eels, who, who was my former club, they're doing a deep dive into mental health. You know what I mean? They've surveyed players and, and fans and their community and staff and they're like, well, what do you want to be seeing in the community space? And everyone's saying mental health. So it means that it's topical and it means that there has to be something out there. And I think probably, I know, probably a lot of people are lost and they're probably just looking for some tools. Like I guess, mate, to be honest, that's probably part of the reason why I want to get into it. Like I want to have the tools to be able to help not only my friends and family myself you know I've gone through my own mental struggles like I'm trying to figure out what I can do to help myself you know so I so I don't go down a path of self-destruction down the track um so mate to answer your question I have no idea <laughs> I've got no idea but go on a journey and 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 learn I think that's that's probably a good way to start what are the tools for you personally like what are those it might be the things that you have to do every week or every day yep. that um, I think it's important not to become dependent on things, but I think yeah. if you have those little little things that top you up that make you feel good, and we've all got them, yeah. like what are they for you? For me, obviously everyone's different, but for me, I've I've learned a really great foundation of things of what what will help me and what will keep me sane. Uh, physical exercise, one hundred percent. If I'm not training, then I'm I'm anxious, I'm moody, I'm irritable. I am I am not the same person. I need to go do a hard session in the morning in order to be level throughout the day. Uh, eating good quality food, like I, I stay away from ultra processed food. I want to have, I want to have whole foods. I want to have good quality protein. I want to have a variety of fruit and vegetables like that, that I feel better and I feel more energized on that. 
having a good community, being around my friends, being around family members. I'm so lucky to have the best family and the best friends ever. Um, that's a really good thing. Um, what else being for me, a little thing like being in the ocean, like we talked about it before that work life balance. Um, I don't need to have a whole day to myself, mate. Like I don't need to have go on a week holiday somewhere. I'll enjoy it hundred percent when that time comes. But if I can get in the morning, if I can go for a swim and get in the ocean in the morning, my day is set and I'm so level throughout the day. If I can train, have a coffee with a mate and swim, like that's, that's an hour. You know, I don't need any more than that. But the biggest thing that I've probably learned lately, um, not learnt lately, sorry, but like I, I would go see a psychologist when I was going through like really tough times, you know what I mean? And that started for me in footy um, and people bring up this conversation about psychologists and they're like, oh, I saw a psychologist once and it was a terrible experience. And I was like, mate, so finding the right psychologist is like finding the right partner. Like you're not going to find the right psychologist straight away. Like you might go through four or five different psychs before you find someone you like. I was lucky that I found one when I was playing footy at the Gold Coast Titans, when I was struggling there with, with some, I don't know, what I was going through, um, probably just a bit of pressure and stuff like that. Um, but I found a really good one. And, but I would only see her when I was going through really tough times, whether it was a breakup, whether it was losing a friend, whether it was um, when I was just so stressed out that I couldn't cope anymore, um, that's when I would see it. And then someone said to me the other day, they were like, well, it, like if you're fit, do you stop going to the gym? And they're like, well, and they're like, well, if you're, you know, if you're feeling good, why wouldn't you not see your psychologist? You know what I mean? So I'll see, I'll talk to my psychologist every month just as a check-in. And usually like on days I'll call, I was like, look, I actually don't really have anything for you. Those are usually the days where I get so much growth and so much learning about myself. So I'll like every month I'll go, I'll go see her. Um, and sometimes it's just a phone call. But that's probably a tool that I've implemented in the last year um, where it's been so beneficial, mate. Like, to be honest, it's been so beneficial. Um, so they're just a couple tools that I like to use. Um, every, everyone's different. Try a bunch. Like, you, you, you'll figure out what you like and what you don't like and you'll figure out what, what works for you. But just try it. Like, you don't know what you don't know, right? So just try it out. And it's interesting, I think, to acknowledge that we all change at times mm. as well. Like I found for me personally, it's a conversation I've been having with a couple of my mates is I was at the start of last year, I'd say that for the few years before it, I was a very social guy. Mm. Like I would, if I, like if my Sunday included three different coffee catch-ups with three different groups of mates, I'm charged by Sunday yep. night. Like I loved it. But I found myself in the last year, and I think part of it is having a partner that you want to spend a little bit more downtime with but I also think part of it is just this progression as a human being where like, I love some solitude as well. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I'm really getting to a point where I'm like, you give me half a day where it's just me in my thoughts, like thinking about what I want to do, doing some things that are good for me, like happy to go have a coffee by myself. And I feel really at peace with that. Mm. And I, I think that we all like change at times. So it's, I think it's important to recognize of what used to fill the cup yeah. doesn't always fill the cup. Mm. You know, it's, it's such, it's so interesting how we evolve as humans. Yeah. And figure, and yeah, it's mate, nail on the head. Like what your what you like now is probably going to be different to what you liked five or 10 years ago and probably going to be different to what you're going to like in five years time or 10 years time. But being okay with that, that's probably the best thing you can do. 100%. Keegs, we've come to the point in the pod in which I have brought an old concept back to life. Okay. Going to ask you five questions and five answers. All right, mate. Now, they're supposed to be rapid fire, but okay. anyone who listens to this pod will know that they're always moderately rapid. You just still <laughs> want some depth, right? Okay, and I'm mate. probably going to go off, off topic a couple of times. So going to ask you these five questions. They're the same five questions, or at least I intend them to be for every right. guest. Yeah. Um, but we'll see how we go. Done. So question number one, is there a personal challenge that you wish you'd addressed earlier in your life? Uh, personal challenge that I wish I addressed earlier. I'm sure there is a hundred percent. There would be, um, do you want me to tell you what it is? <laughs> you can, yeah, you can tell me what it is. And this, this can be a bunch of different things. So I guess to give you some context, it could be a conversation you wish you'd had earlier yeah. with someone that would have taken a weight off your shoulders. It could be a challenge that you just let linger that compounded and become bigger over time. So whatever comes to mind when I ask that. 
the first thing that came to mind was not being in a rush. And I can elaborate that if you like. Um, not being not being in a rush. Uh, when I was younger, I always felt like I had to play NRL. I felt like I had to buy my first house before I was 20. I felt like I had to do all these things where as soon as you realise you can take their foot off and it's still okay. That's something that I would have loved to learn when I was a bit younger. We're all in a hurry, aren't we? I uh, know. And it's funnily that hindsight often allows us to, to see that we don't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit zooming out, brother. Zooming out. 100%. My second question, Keegs, is how do you personally define success? Uh, mate, my, my measure of success at the moment is having uh, meaningful work and meaningful relationships. If I, if I have that locked in and dialed in, then I will be happy for the rest of my life. Ray Dalio, um, the founder of Bridgewater um, Hedge Fund over in the States, he has a beautiful book called Principles. And there's this beautiful long quote, which I don't, which I can't remember because it's so much, but it's pretty much just like money will only get you so far. If you've got meaningful work and meaningful relationships, then that's a very happy, successful life. I love that, brother. That's simple but incredibly profound. Mm. My third question, Keegs, is what is the greatest lesson that failure has afforded you? Uh, That failure is learning and that it's okay to fail and it's actually good to fail and the faster you can fail, the better off you'll be. And the, and the quicker you'll learn. So I think failure is learning, 100%. I think we demonise it too often, right? Yeah, we all, go th- we all go through it. I had this conversation, did an event with Movember and Lululemon last week and someone asked in the crowd, they asked, um, talking about failures. And I was like, yeah, we all go through failures. Like some of my biggest failures and some of my biggest weaknesses has, has led to my biggest strengths. Like losing my, one of my best mates to suicide had, has led this whole journey of mental health, you know, um, being medically retired from, from rugby league, you know, has led to creating a podcast where I get to talk to the best athletes around Australia and having conversations like I'm having with you today. Um, it's led to me knowing a bit more about myself. Um, it's having conversations with helping other people. So, mate, some of your biggest failures and some of your biggest weaknesses l- often lead to your biggest strengths. Yeah, it's just shifting that perspective. I love it. Yeah. This one's an interesting one. So if you were writing a book about your life... What chapter changed the trajectory of your life and what would you title that chapter? <laughs> oh, mate. Um, oh, what, what, would I, what would it be? Um, it's, it's a weird one because I don't like talking about past relationships or, or anything on, on you know, open platforms, but probably, mate, probably being medically retired um, probably breaking up with my last partner, I think that has definitely changed the trajectory of my life in a positive way. Um, the name of the chapter? I'm not that creative, mate. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, um, oh, I don't know, kind of like just, I want to say like, I want to say get on with it, but it's not get on with it because yeah, I don't know. I don't know the chapter, but definitely, definitely being medically retired, um, probably like seeing the good in life. I don't know. Maybe that's the chapter. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Once again, touching on perspective. Yeah. My last question for you, Keegs, is, you know, the name of the show is a lot to talk about. Mm. And essentially what we want to do here is we want to show people that everyone has a different story. And there are things in everyone's story that we can learn from, we can be inspired by, uplifted by. And so what is the, the message and the conversation that you want people to take from our chat and open up in their own circles and communities? Mate, your questions are so well thought out. I appreciate that. <laughs> can you tell, mate, can you hit me that question again? Yeah, so, you know, essentially there's a, a theme of conversation here and, and I know that people who are watching you, listening to you, you know, following your movements are going to be inspired by and uplifted by the fact that you are where you are and you've come through these challenges and you're the man that you are doing the things that you're doing. And, and it's so exciting and inspiring for me to watch from the outside looking in. But what's the message that you want them to take from that? And particularly, like, what do you want them to be talking about in their own circles and communities after having listened to you? I guess, I guess probably the, one of the biggest things that I want to take away, that I want people to take away is probably it's, it's okay to have conversations with your friends and, and it's okay to lean on your support network. Like my, my podcast, Keegan and Company, it's about the company you keep. It's the people you're you, around. Like it's, the people, it's the people you love. 
it's your friends, it's your family, and it's being okay to talk about that. Like my whole goal with having these conversations is to break down the barriers and stigmas of mental health by having conversations, having good positive, having good positive friendships and relationships and, and people you can lean on. Like that's, that's what it's all about, right? Like that's, if you can do that, you'll have a very happy life. Like I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Like I'm 27 years old. I've got fucking no idea, mate. I've got no idea what I'm doing. But there's one, if there's one thing that I know, it's that I feel so much better after having a conversation or doing something with someone that I love. Brother, beautiful way to finish the pod. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, mate. Like I, I'm often, I guess I often have to pinch myself that I'm in a position now where I get to speak to a range of different people. And there are so many things that I knew about you. There are so many things I didn't. Um, I guess now when I hear the name Keegan Hipgrave, I won't think of a missed meat pie opportunity, but rather all the incredible work that you're doing and, you know, this great conversation we've had the pleasure of, of sharing. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. I'm going to make sure that everyone who tunes in to a lot to talk about can go to the show notes, find your pod, because I think everyone should go over and check it out. I'm going to make sure that your socials are there and, and all the good work that you're doing is only a click away. And Bradley, mate, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Like I've... I've been on a lot of podcasts lately in the last three months in starting my podcast. And I think this is the one where I've had the best questions. Like, I think you've genuinely asked the best questions to like, to me. Like, I, I don't think I've, I've been, like, I've been on a lot and I think this is one they, they're they're thoughtful, they're meaningful. You've done your research. You're it's something you're obviously extremely passionate about and success comes from passion and you're, you're doing such great things. So mate, thank you for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm hoping next time we do this, we can do it in person, uh, which could, we've had this conversation before. But, mate, keep doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm super proud of you, brother. I think that's um, we need more people like you in this world. Mate, very kind words. Thank you so much. Cheers, brother. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling. And as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.